And that's not what I am. So it turns out that through whatever happened, I don't know, it was the 80s, they were young, they're in Spain. Like I have no judgment around that at all. But the person that they were protecting me from was not my biological father. Hello, everyone. It's Monday and shit is wild out there. I'm your host, Ricky. This is Jules. This is Kenny. And this is season two of Luke, Who Is Your Father? As you know, hopefully this season, we've turned the mic over to you, the listeners, to tell us about your family scandals, trials, and triumphs. And whoo, doggy, it just gets better every time, doesn't it? (laughs) It sure does. It does. (laughs) It does indeed. (laughs) A gentle reminder that the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of our guests who we are always so lucky to have. You can see this episode and all of our episodes and bonus content by subscribing to Luke, Who Is Your Father on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok at Luke, Who Is Your Father Pod, at Ricky Jump, and at Jules, Who Is Your Father. And follow us on Instagram at Luke, Who Is Your Father, at Ricky Jump, and at KennyK23. And don't forget, you can also subscribe to our Patreon. Patreon! You can do that on their app or at patreon.com slash Luke, Who Is Your Father. That is really... What I do? <laughs> Look who is a father? <laughs> I said your father. Uh, you said a father. You definitely said okay. a father. That shit's funny. <laughs> you can subscribe to our Patreon on their app or at Patreon.com/slash Luke. Who is your father? And that is our safe haven. It is a place for us to have a little bit of fun. You get access to monthly virtual happy hours with us, special Daddy Issues Anonymous episodes, and exclusive content. And if and when the day comes those will be ad free if that is important to you we of course so appreciate all of the support that you showed us and we would love if you haven't already if you could rate review and subscribe to the pod and share it with a friend or family member who you think it would destroy or would enjoy we are (laughs) i see what you did there hot fire (laughs) we're loving all of the reviews that we've received so far it does really mean a lot to us and it helps us when you do take the time to write your things out your things your opinions your (laughs) thoughts you don't have to if they're mean but if they're nice and you want to hit the five stars and write them out let her rip and And if if they're mean do it anyway (laughs) give us your best shot hit me with your best shot If you have a story of your own to share of the who's your daddy variety, you can submit on LukeWhoIsYourFather.com where you can also read our bios, any mentions in the press or on other podcasts and see all of the platforms we're streaming on. And if you are new here, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We are triplets who were separated at birth, reunited and found our biological father through ancestry DNA, which may or may not give us the right to help other people tell their stories of a similar vein. Question of the day, Kendall, what is your favorite color of cat? Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay, I like tuxedo cats. I thought she was just like, that's it. (laughs) I like tuxedo cats. Okay, can I just say... You guys don't hear it because I usually edit it out, but usually Kendall goes, oh shit, and then waits for at least 15 (laughs) seconds to be able to answer, and she certainly had that one in her back pocket. 
Well, because I was about to say I don't like cats, but then I thought about... What? You know this about me. She is deathly allergic. <laughs> that doesn't mean she doesn't like cats. <laughs> not a, I'm not a great, I'm not a big cat fan. All right. Well, but... to me. Anyways, <laughs> proceed. But we did have a lovely cat named Lloyd. <laughs> and he was a tuxedo cat? He was a tuxedo cat. And over to you, Ricky. <laughs> I like it. Just keep on going. <laughs> what is your favorite color of cat? I still really am strucketh by a calico cat. Uh, my mom and dad did not buy me very many toys when I was younger. And the one that my dad did buy me was a calico cat. And I named her Molly and I cut off all her hair. And... That is probably why they didn't buy me any more toys. Jules, what's your favorite color of cat? See, this is an unfair question to me. This would be like... You have to pick a favorite this child. This would be like you had a redhead child, a blonde child, a brunette child, and a... Black-haired child. Black-haired child. Be like, what's your favorite color of hair child? <clears throat> I have to go with like a leopardy tabby cat. Reminiscent of a Bengal cat. I do love Bengal cats. If I could have a Bengal cat, I would want one. My cat, Ivanek. I hate to say this. I don't think they're listening, but he is my favorite cat. (laughs) (laughs) Before we move on to introducing you to our guests, I do want to give a shout out to our listener, Drew. She wrote us and said, hey, I just want to let you know how much your podcast has moved me. I am not quite done. She's on episode five, which her luck, but really felt the need to reach out. I'm a part of Triplet's sisters who in February, just before our 30th birthday, just found out that we were egg donor conceived. You can imagine the whirlwind when we found out, but from the beginning of this journey, we were thankful that we have a built-in support group. Thanks to Ancestry and DNA Angels, we were able to find out who our egg donor is. We haven't made contact for a variety of reasons. We've decided to wait a few months. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. It has been so moving to hear you three talk as I hear similarities in how we interact and even more similarly, the importance of sisterhood. And then she sent us a photo and they Gorgeous. are better looking triplets than we are. <laughs> I agree unequivocally. They're Aren't they stunning? And look at the background. Where are you? I love the color uh, combo. Yeah. They sent us a little wedding photo. I don't know which one of them is getting married, but they are all so beautiful. They're obviously fraternal triplets, and they all just have a little bit of each other. And I think that she was so nice to take the time to write that email. So thank you, Drew. We love you. We love you. (laughs) And speaking of beautiful and amazing women, it is my pleasure to introduce our guest for this week, Alexis Auerselt. This is actually coming at a great time. Last week, you heard us finish up with Mark, who went on his own DNA discovery of finding out that he was not the ethnicity he thought he was and is actually half black. And Alexis has a super similar story, and they have gone through that discovery in really different ways. Mark's was more about the journey of his own fatherhood, and he was pretty much unfazed by that discovery um and really warmly accepted into that community and is doing his own exploration but i'd say alexis is taking that more to heart than anything and obviously had a similar discovery and we have just been so blessed at this point to be talking to people from 
every different kind of background and going through every different type of discovery. And it has really opened our eyes in terms of how common it is when you're making a discovery like this to learn that you are of a different race than you had originally assumed. So we're so happy to bring you even more of a narrative on that. Alexis is wonderful. She hosts DNA Surprises. She is gorgeous. I'd turn into a tune into the YouTube <laughs> if you want to see her beautiful smiling face. And she has just done a lot for the community. She puts on a DNA Surprises retreat and is just overall a ball of light and grace. So I think that you all will enjoy. We'll go right on over to Alexis. Good afternoon, everyone. We are so excited to be recording with Alexis Ourselt today. She is a fellow NPE host of the amazing podcast, DNA Surprises, which we'll get much more into throughout the course of this episode. And she is a badass mommy and a beautiful wife. Alexis, thank you for being here with us today. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thank you to all three of you for having me on today. We're so excited to hear more about you. We've had the pleasure of speaking with Alexis before. And trust me when I say she's just like the most calming, beautiful presence. So we're so honored to have you on. Well, yes. Thank you. Tell us about, about yourself, where you're from, how you grew up. We'll take it from there. Sure. So I grew up a military brat. Both my parents were in the Air Force and that's how they met. They actually met in Spain. So I was born overseas and we moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for a couple of years before before Hurricane Hugo hit and my parents were like, we're out of here. We're moving to the desert. <laughs> so ever since then, basically, I've lived in Arizona and I was raised by my parents who I knew to be my parents. My mom is white. My dad is Mexican. And I have two younger sisters, one who's about two and a half years younger than me, and then one who I'm 14 years older than. So she's like wow. the baby of the family. And my sisters and I all look fairly similar. I mean, as we'll get into it, hindsight's 2020, but I really thought that we all looked alike, had no suspicions about my parenthood or anything like that. And then when I was about eight years old, my mom casually mentioned to me that my parents weren't married when I was born. And at the time, I was so shocked by that because that Did wasn't really when, you were eight? when, you were when eight I was eight. Okay. When I was eight, she told me they weren't married. And I was really shocked. But the way that she explained it was that she, as I kind of learned throughout the years, is that she got pregnant pretty soon after they met. And she was like an independent woman, wasn't sure if they were going to stay together. He proposed as soon as she was pregnant and she said, no, I'm not going to just marry you because I'm pregnant. So they dated like all through her pregnancy and after I was born. And then when I was about nine months old, they got married. So this is the story that I believed my whole life. I kind of felt like I had this feminist origin story, right? Because my mom was like, not just going to marry someone just because she was pregnant. She put her name on my birth certificate, which caused me a lot of pain growing up because they actually put my dad's last name on my social security card. Oh, that was no. a whole thing. <laughs> 
is a whole thing. And yeah, so I that's the story that I believe to be true. And I think I internalized a lot of that and felt like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm strong and independent too. And it really just shaped who I was in a lot of ways. And then in July of 2021, I got the results from my ancestry DNA test. And it's funny, actually, that we're recording this just a couple days before Prime Day, because that's when I bought my test. Oh. It was in June. <laughs> it was in June in 2021. And so that's when I bought my test. Again, I, I didn't take the test because I thought that there was something weird going on. I took it because I was curious about my roots. I was curious about my indigenous roots. My paternal grandmother had been researching that at the time that she died and it was way before DNA kits were a thing. So wow. I was like, I can, I can dig more into this and, and learn more about it. And so it was on sale for Prime Day. I had it on my wish list for years and nobody had bought it for me, which should have been a clue. But I bought it for myself and got my results in July. And the first thing that I noticed when I opened up my results was that there was no Mexican at all. There was no Latinx. There was no nothing. No Native American anything. What there was, was African-American, early North Carolina African-Americans. And then when I looked over at the results, I could also see Cameroon, Nigeria, other countries of origin. And then I also saw the ones that I expected from my mom's side, Britain, Ireland, Scotland, those kinds of things. So I was very shocked and instantly said, there's a mistake. This is, they mixed up my results, must've got mixed up in the mail or in the lab. I don't know what happened. It's not right. So I flip over to my matches, which I wasn't interested in at all when I took my test. I was only interested in the ethnicity piece and then not even the health side because I didn't do 23andMe. I did Ancestry. And when I look at my matches, I see a parent-child match with a man that I did not recognize. And he had this weird username, like it was a, a, a name with a bunch of numbers and his picture was a bunch of people, so I couldn't tell who it was. And I'm like, this can't be right. That should not be allowed. Yeah. You should be have to have a solo picture. Okay. Continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't recognize him. I'm kind of starting to freak out a little bit because I'm like, this is this is saying that this is my my father. And again, it's gotta be a mistake. Gotta be a mistake. I scroll down and I see a half brother. I don't have any brothers to my knowledge. I see a half sister, a name I don't recognize. And then I see my mom's brother and that's my uncle. And I knew at that point that it was a partial mistake. <laughs> that's what I decided. They must have somehow partially mixed up the results. And I think I just kind of dissociated at that point. I, I don't really remember what I thought. What I did next was I called my sister, the one that's two years younger than me. And I said that, look, I just am seeing these results. It's saying I'm not Mexican. It's saying I'm black. It's saying there's another man who's my dad. And she was speechless and said to call my mom. So, so yeah. did your mom not know that you were taking this? Did you not tell anybody you were doing the DNA test or anything? I did not tell anyone. I just bought it for fun. I mean, it really was just, I didn't think it would be an issue. And it was funny because after I had the test, my mother-in-law was over and I had done the tube and like seen up the box and she was leaving and the post office is on her way home. And I was like, oh, can you just drop this in the post office box for me? And she was like, are you sure you want to do that? 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, what's the big deal? It was like, she didn't know, but yeah, she knew somehow. So but yeah, they- so I called my mom and I told her what happened and she was really quiet and sort of the words that she said indicated that she was surprised, but the emotion I was getting, I wasn't getting real surprised there. Like she was like, this is so shocking, you know, like just like that. I'm like, is it? <laughs> and she said, she asked me which test I took. Mm-hmm. I told her I took Ancestry and she said, well, those those seem to be pretty accurate on Maury. <laughs> and I was like our you know I couldn't tell she was joking to me it was obviously very serious because Mm -hmm. it was just unbelievable I told her that I was going to order a paternity test and then I asked her to, to talk to my dad so we hung up it was a very short conversation and I ordered a paternity test because again, I had convinced myself that it was a partial error. And then I called my husband because he was out of town at the time that I got my results and I couldn't reach him. And then I called my best friend and was just sobbing at that point because I started to realize maybe on some level that it was true based on my mom's reaction. Yeah. And you know, she was shocked. She's a therapist. And even she was kind of speechless and didn't really know what to say. And then I hung up with her and joined a work call. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like something we would do. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I I don't remember that at all. Of course, I've completely basically dissociated for the rest of the day. It was a lot of crying. My sisters came over and I just kept saying over and over again, is this real? Is this really happening? Just over and over. It's like my brain was just in such denial and trying to fight it. My little Gen Z sister, Amy, was like, it's real. You know, she's like very, Mm -hmm. she's like the very practical one. She's like, yes, this these are the results. My mom texted me that night and said, I talked to your dad. We were both seeing other people at the time that I got pregnant. So it it could be possible, but you're his daughter and he loves you. And I texted my dad and asked him to come over and he didn't. He went to work and I kind of was just spinning that whole day. Then the next day they came over and they sat down. I was really devastated because my dad is super close to my kids. Yeah. And I there's a whole other backstory that we don't have to get into, but he does have another child and grandchildren from before me. And he's not close with that child and he's not close with those grandchildren. So to me it was like and that's and that's a source of pain for him. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm taking away his grandchildren, his biological grandchildren. There were a lot of questions of did my mom know and hide it from him? What was happening? So they come in, they sit down on my couch, and I like I still remember it in my mind's eye, clear as day. And they sat across from me, and my dad said, I met you and your mom at the same time when you were two months old. And the story that they went on to tell me is that my mom was in a relationship with someone. And And it was an abusive relationship. And when she got pregnant, he was not happy about that. He didn't want the pregnancy. They ended up breaking up and she went through the pregnancy on her own, had me alone with, you know, a friend was with her in the hospital. And then two months later, she met my dad. And when she met my dad, he fell in love with both of us, decided he wanted to raise me as his own. And they both decided that that's what they were going to do. My next question was, who all knew? And... 
everyone knew, basically. Oh. My grandmothers knew. I had aunts and uncles that knew. I still don't know how many of my cousins knew from their parents, but you know, that was very, very hurtful to me and also kind of explained some weird family dynamic stuff growing up that I never really understood. The thing that was really difficult was that the person that my mom was with was Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. And Puerto Rican people can be of all different descent. You know, being Puerto Rican doesn't mean that you look Hispanic. You could be, you know, Afro-Latino or something like that. But in, in this case, he was like Hispanic of Spanish origins. And that's not what I am. So it turns out oh. that through whatever happened, I don't know, it was the 80s. They were young. They're in Spain. Like, I have no judgment around that at all. But the person that they were protecting me from was not my biological father. Um, my biological father was someone else. So yeah, that's, that's point yeah. A, I guess, of my story. So, well, my question is, yeah, obviously there's so many. Yeah, there are so <laughs> many. Thank you for yes. taking us on that journey. It does sound incredibly painful. So your mom was in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. When your dad met her, you were two months old and that's what she was kind of staying away from. So she then was equally as surprised as you to see this DNA test and see that it was African-American and not Puerto Rican or of any Spanish descent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody knew that. Oh my goodness. And so... The person that she was in the abusive relationship with, they obviously knew that she what had been pregnant and had had a daughter. I, I don't think they had any real contact after they broke up because he, I don't know if he got kicked out of the military or what exactly happened after they broke up, but there was no contact. And I don't think he really wanted to be a father. So I don't think it was something that they had to try real hard for. Right. Uh, so yeah, I never knew anything about that man. I still really don't. I don't know his last name or whatever. Where he is or because he's actually not part of my story right I mean, he is but he isn't and so everyone was shocked and that's been something that I think has been very hard for my parents to reconcile is that even though they had these good intentions and I would even say they I acknowledge they had noble intentions they made the wrong choice mm -hmm. by not being honest from the beginning because right. if they had perhaps I would have started looking or digging in a little bit more yeah. and maybe found out the truth why why do you, because I, I do agree. I think that, and that's completely up for you and your family to know that they did have good intentions, but why do you think, why were so many other people in on this secret and not you? He, my dad wanted to raise me like I was his biological daughter. Right. And that was something that they asked everyone to honor. And when they told me the truth, my mom, she specifically said, please don't be mad. Please don't be mad at your grandmothers. I mean, both of them have died, but you know, please don't be mad at them. Please don't be mad at your and we asked them to keep it a secret. And I think it was just all in the interest of it appearing as though I was biologically related to him, even though I wasn't. Right. And I suppose it wouldn't have been because obviously your mom had gone through an entire pregnancy and then had had you and met your dad when you were two months old. So before that, was it the conversation was she's just not, her biological father isn't going to be in her life. And then when your dad sort of made this suggestion or plea to participate in your life as who you knew to be your biological 
biological father. It's not like your family didn't know and then they were let in on a secret. It was you, they all agreed on this together. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know what the circumstances were of when she went through her pregnancy. There's still a lot of questions. And I think that's what's really interesting in the DNA surprise world is I think often there are a lot of these questions that for whatever reason we can't ask or we don't get answers to. And so I, I don't really know what it was like for her going through the pregnancy because that's been a difficult conversation to have. I was going to ask, why is there a block there? It's, I think it's a really hard thing for my mom to talk about. I think she's got a lot of shame around being in this relationship that was not great, obviously. Then maybe not knowing who the father of her child was. I really don't know what the circumstances were. I mean, she says that she thought it was her boyfriend. So yeah. that's what I honor is the truth. But, you know, being single, being pregnant, I especially during that time, I think it was, there's a lot of shame wrapped up in it. And then the fact that I uncovered this secret, I was very clear that I wasn't going to keep it a secret. I wasn't going to perpetuate it moving forward and that I was going to build a relationship with my fam my found family. So it's just, it's very hard for her. I'm more than willing to have more open conversations, but I think it's caused a lot of turmoil for her. And so sometimes just in the interest of having a more peaceful relationship, I don't broach certain topics. Yeah. So I, before we get into all of the dynamics that this created yeah. with the discovery, there are so many layers here and one specifically of, I suppose the right or correct terminology would be ethnicity. So with your dad being Mexican, can you take us back to what it was like for you growing up? And was that something that was very much celebrated and ingrained within you and something that you really strongly identified with? I wanted to strongly identify with it. But I never really felt like I did. That's so interesting. I always identified as, you know, being Mexican and, and white. And... I was exposed to it to a certain extent, but my dad also grew up during a time where it was definitely better to be like Anglo Caucasian, mm -hmm. you know, and so he didn't teach me Spanish growing up. I, so I was kind of around it, like we'd go visit family in Texas and uh, I live in Arizona, large Hispanic population. So the food, a lot of the cultural touch points were around me. And I think more so than my two younger sisters, I tried really hard to like mm -hmm. fit in and, and feel that and relate to that. But it was always something that I struggled with. I always had a really hard time with people asking me what I was growing up. What are you? Questioning what my ethnicity was. I got all sorts of guesses. And all throughout my life, I would just say, no, my dad is Mexican. This is just how I turned out. You never know when you mix two different like ethnicities together. Together. And this is how I am. But it was always something I, I really did feel like I struggled with. I was actually just reflecting. I wrote a whole paper on it in college and I was going to go find it and pull it out and see what yeah. I wrote because it was something that I really had a hard time with. And when I confronted my parents, we had the whole conversation and they told me the truth. I said, you watched me like go through yeah. this and, and you didn't say anything. And they're kind of like, well, we didn't think it was that hard for you. And, you know, <laughs> it's just every Everyone's perspective is so interesting. Your father also thought that your biological father was the Puerto Rican man. Yeah. And that was kind of, you know, when I talk about my story, sometimes I feel like it's a dark comedy. Yeah. And like one of the 
scenes of the dark comedy is when they're sitting across from me on the couch and I'm like, I struggled my whole life with this. It turns out that I'm black all this time. And like my dad just kept saying over and over again, we thought you were Puerto Rican. That's exactly what I was going to say. And yeah. I'm like, well, Puerto Rican isn't the same as Mexican either, but you know. Yeah. Your two sisters, are they your father's biological daughters? Yes, they are. And are they sure? <laughs> well, we've we've brought that up. We've you know, we've asked that, but yes, we're we're sure. They they look like my dad. I mean, again, it's like kind of that hindsight thing. Like now yeah. I look and I'm like, okay, yeah, I see where I look different than them. But they haven't taken tests. <laughs> they haven't taken tests. And I've asked them. I said, do you want, would you ever take one? And they're both like, uh, no. Interesting. Interesting. So with you having struggled with that your whole life, really embracing or feeling apart or connected to your heritage, when you did learn that you were Black, was that a relief or was it even, did it bring up even more turmoil with not really having an identity in that regard either? I would say a little bit of both. In some ways, I felt like it made so much sense. I mean, again, with the dark comedy, when I told my sister and, and she was talking to her partner, he was like, well, hasn't Alexis always kind of been Black? Like, because I've always been drawn to more of that side right. of things culturally. Not that everyone can't listen to Beyonce, for example, <laughs> but like, you know, as a, from a little girl, I idolized Mariah Carey always. I loved her so much. Beyonce. I would watch Insecure, you know, Issa Rae's show. <laughs> and, okay. you know, it's so good. But sometimes I would just feel so connected to it in a way yeah. and then be like, well, this isn't for me. Like, I, I don't want to be like I a culture even, vulture. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so that was, it, it made things make sense. But then there was also a lot of sadness about what I missed out on because a lot of my mm -hmm. like black education is from popular culture. Mm -hmm. I wasn't exposed to it. There's not a large population in Arizona. I did grow up on base, so it is a little bit more diverse. And so I was a little bit more exposed that way. But generally, I really didn't have much exposure. And so there's been a lot of sadness, I think, for that lack that mm -hmm. I've had yeah. in my life. And I would definitely want to get into that more when we kind of get to the second half of, you know, your dynamics now. But as far as when you were growing up, how was your relationship with both of your parents individually? And then how was your relationship with your sisters? My sisters and I are very close, very close, still are. With my mom, I was extremely close to her growing up all the way to probably my early 30s, I would say. We're really close. Uh, definitely like a mama's girl for sure. But I was also, I had a great relationship with my dad. He's a good man and has been a good presence in my life. And I just, I do look back, like my my middle sister was always way closer to my dad than mm -hmm. I was. And so now I kind of look back and go, well, is that because on some level there wasn't like a yeah. biological connection or something? I don't know. But yeah, I would say overall, you know, I, I grew up with a pretty quote normal household and close close relationships with my parents yeah are they still together they are and then when you were in i maybe this is one of those hindsight questions but looking back and you're talking about your sisters do they first of all i don't i hope you don't mind me asking why is there a 14 year gap between 
you, your older sister and your baby sister. They wanted to have another baby, but it just wasn't happening. And then as soon as they said, we're going to stop trying, mm-hmm. she got pregnant. Yeah. So yeah. I heard about that a lot. Was your, was the middle sister a planned pregnancy? Yes. And so you said that they both look a lot like your dad. Do they look alike? And how was their relationship? Could you sense, was there any distance between you and them or anything like that when you were growing up? No. I mean, I moved away to college when my baby sister was three. So they were kind of naturally a little bit closer just during that time because my middle sister was there and I wasn't, but I would come home pretty often. Um, I really, I feel close to both of them. And my youngest sister and I actually, I think we look the most alike of the sisters. So we do kind of look like my mom, I guess it must come from my mom's side, but there are certain things like they have the same shaped head, which is my dad's head, <laughs> like a round head. And I don't have that. And uh, so there's certain things where, yeah, they look more like him, obviously, than I do. But we all look related. We look like sisters. Yeah. You grew up with this family, normal family, and then you decide to take this test. And I'm just, Kendall was kind of getting at it, but I'm so interested. You you just said you wanted to know more about your roots. Do you think there was any like subliminal reason that you wanted to take this test. Oh, totally. I I totally believe in this idea of like the unthought known. Yeah. And that on some level I probably knew something deep inside. Yeah. But not consciously at all. Yeah. What after I took the test, I had this like very brief thought. I remember I was like picking up laundry or something and I thought, God, wouldn't it be crazy if my dad wasn't my dad? Yeah. What second? But I tend to kind of let my mind run away sometimes. And A flair for the dramatic. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I was like, that's, that's not going to happen. You know, totally dismiss that. It's just some silly thought, right? And then it came out to be true. In your early 30s, didn't even think to ask, we don't know how old you are. And by looking at you, I would have definitely said 27. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm so glad I did this podcast how, today. <laughs> how old are you? I'm 37. Okay. Dang. I hope you guys are on YouTube because geez, Louise, <laughs> you look, you're beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Can you look back now and recall when DNA testing was rolling out as a thing that was attainable and people could do at home? Do you remember any conversation going on around your house or catching any weird vibes from your parents? No, I think there's something interesting about the power of denial. And I think after a while, the lie becomes the truth for people. And I'm sure that my dad hardly thought about the fact that it wasn't biologically related to him. I I know that just from he never treated me differently. I never would have suspected based on the way that our relationship was. And same thing. I think my mom is she's very, very good at pushing stuff down. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't think it even occurred to them. I asked them, you know, did they ever think about telling me? at various points and they would say yes but then it just kept going on so long it got harder and harder to tell you so yeah I mean I don't remember any conversations about DNA testing or anything like that but I mean I probably personally would have freaked out if I saw that my kid put it on their Amazon list that's what I'm so your wish list they they knew that it was this is something that people are looking at and you're there you guys are buying gifts for each other off of your wish list so they had they saw that it was on there yes 
Yes, because starting around, I would say five plus years ago, we just started doing an Amazon wish list because yeah. it was getting so hard to buy for everyone. So it was like, just send me your list. I'll get you something off that. And it had been on my list and nobody said anything. Oh it, it is so generational or something mm-hmm. because we have talked many a time about how our biological father, upon hearing about DNA testing, that he did, never had a thought, that. didn't think twice. And it was something that my mom mom was actually encouraging me to do after the cat was out of the bag after we knew that he or my dad wasn't my biological father but it just seems like this particular moment in time it just passes by a lot of our parents without a thought and they never even consider that their whole world has the potential to come crashing down in a matter of weeks at whatever point yeah it's yeah. so interesting because I feel like we've talked about how we personally think that honesty and being transparent helps with these kinds of situations and that there's been such a stigma around you know adoption and sperm donation and all that kind of stuff and people feel like I feel like the most common option it, that people choose is to keep it a secret and I think it's going to be really interesting moving forward because it's not really an option anymore yeah. to keep it a secret, I don't think. That's a good exactly. Point. Exactly. Did your father legally adopt you? No, he never legally That's adopted what I'm th- me. That's what I'm thinking too because they probably didn't want a paper trail of this secret. I had you know, some health stuff come up after I had my kids. I started having high cholesterol like very mm-hmm. randomly and working with my doctor to lower it, cutting out red meat, exercising more, doing like all the things, all the things that you're supposed to do and very little change. And I remember being at my parents' house and saying, who in our family has high cholesterol? Because there's certain things that run in the family, but that was never one of them. And again, after I confronted my parents and sitting there and saying, I asked you about this and you didn't tell me and why. And my dad said, I I knew that the information wouldn't help you, but I just told you anyway that there was no history of it. And we'll get into it later after I connect. But I I learned that that actually is very genetic on my biological father's Mm -hmm. side. So the day of you call your mom. And you asked her to call your dad. Why did you ask her to do that? Because they were in the house together. And so, and I think I was just in complete shock. I mean, I was not in my right mind by any means when we had the conversation. And I also felt like this was maybe a conversation she needed to have with him if there was a secret that she was keeping from him. Because at the time, I didn't know that he knew. As a mother, you can never be mistaken that your child is your child. But yeah, there's always the, you know, that has to be scary as a father to not be always 100% sure until that, that test is taken. Okay, so they came over, came over together and had that conversation with you. And then I think now let's talk about moving forward. How first and foremost, it sounds like this has had a profound effect. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions, but on the relationship that you have with your mom. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been really hard. I was obviously upset and felt very betrayed by both of my parents when I found out the truth. Instantly got into therapy and and doing all of the things to kind of work through it. But I knew that I wanted to return to some sense of normalcy, whatever that might look like with my parents. I asked for them to go to therapy. They said no to go on their own. That They said they don't need it. My mom went to one therapy session with me and I don't feel like it was very 
helpful. And after that, I think I feel like I've been making a lot of effort to try to keep the relationship going, but she's really pulled away, especially in the first year afterwards. And I felt like I was being punished for uncovering a secret. Mm -hmm. And even though you know, I didn't know. And again, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I think that it's a lot of that shame That's and what I was, yeah. her in a bad place. And then as far as the way that you feel about your dad, the man who raised you, have you had to go through a whole mourning process of, or what are your feelings on him not being, not sharing DNA with you? And how are you coping with that? I think it's, it's been sad, but because we had a good relationship and I didn't have a ton of doubt about his love for me or anything like that, you know, so many people will say, oh, your dad's still your dad when you first find this out, which is for anyone listening, please don't say that to somebody who gets this result. Yes, but he is still my dad. And I think the hardest thing was just to get over that betrayal, the fact mm -hmm. that they lied to me for so long, but I was able to move past that piece of it and still feel very connected to him. The biggest mourning piece I feel like I've had has been my relationship with my mom because yeah. we felt we were so close for so long and I don't feel like we are anymore and I'm not sure if we ever will be. And so that's really hard. And it's it, there's also a grieving process of just your reality, your whole family mm -hmm. dynamics, Everything that you thought you knew about yourself is different. And that's a lot to take in at once. I just heard the term identity trauma for the first time yesterday. And I think you can probably relate to that. Has your relationship with your dad changed at all? Or because you were not as close to him, has it just kind of been level? I think it's been pretty level in terms of when we're around each other, we're still mm -hmm. able to just talk. And, you know, I, I did say that I didn't feel, you know, as close to him as my mom growing up, but I, I could still talk to him about anything. If mm -hmm. I needed him, he was always there. So there wasn't like a distance between us. My last question, your sister's. How did that go with them? My baby sister was very shocked and was there for me 100%. But she's also in her early 20s establishing her life. I remember what it was like to be in my early 20s. She's kind of doing her own thing. My sister that I'm closer to in age has had a really hard time with it because we're so close in age. So she was lied to for almost as long as I was. And my parents kind of distanced themselves from her as well after. And I, I don't know why. She's still never never had a conversation with my mom about it at all. And we all live in the same town. My parents live five minutes from me, 20 minutes from my sister. And there has never been a conversation about this. She's talked to my dad about it, but that's it. So that's been really hard for her too. And she's a very, very sensitive person, very mm -hmm. empathetic. And it's been a lot for her to deal with. Is she a cancer? <laughs> that's so sad. And I don't want to like say anything to, you know, come across judgments or anything like that, but that's, that breaks my heart. First of all, I'm so sorry about your loss of your relate, not loss, but the damage that your relationship with your mom has taken, because you can tell when you look at, you make me want to cry because you can tell it causes, it's very painful. Mm -hmm. And then I can't imagine how your sibling closest to you in age feels that now she's getting, like you said, you feel like you're being punished. It sounds like that might extend to her as well. And I think it is stemming from your parents being embarrassed that they, yeah, I think 
think shame yeah. causes us to kind of push people away. The, yeah, it's like it's easier to just not deal with it. And then I think that causes a lot of Has it made you two strife. closer at all? You and your sister? A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were already close. We're already very close, but mm -hmm. now we talk even more. We spend even yeah. more time together. So we really leaned on each other a lot during this because in a lot of ways it kind of felt like that's all we had from yeah. our, mm -hmm. you know, family. That's a silver lining. I'm sorry you went through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you said now that you know that this was kept a secret from you by, and that's many, so many people's worst nightmare to be the only person in the room that doesn't know a piece of information about yourself. And you said that you can look back on the certain family dynamics and see the writing on the wall a bit. Can you mm -hmm. talk us through what you can reflect back on and see that there was some secret keeping going on there? Yeah. So my dad's mom, my, I'll just call her my paternal grandmother, even though we're not biologically related. I always felt a distance with her. I always felt like there was conflict between her and my mom. There was drama there. There was one specific time where one of my dad's cousins, I think, threatened to tell me when I was a child. And it was like a huge thing. There was this huge fight kind of thing going on. And my sister is the one who's like, I remember this phone call happening. And I don't, I didn't know what it was about. And then later on, after all this came out, it was, she was threatening to tell me for whatever reason, they were having some sort of fight. And so, yeah. And, and it was funny. My dad got really upset when I said, well, this explains a lot about things growing up. And he was like, she loved you. She loved you so much. And I'm like, no, I'm not saying she didn't love me, but I'm thinking about, you know, I have a son and I'm thinking about him coming home one day and saying, I just met this girl. She's got a two month old baby. And I think I'm going to marry her and raise that baby as my yeah. own when he's 23 years old. Do you feel like there was probably some anger on everyone's behalf because they are now basically being forced to keep a secret? Like the, it involved a lot of people. I asked about that, specifically my maternal grandmother, because she was probably the one I felt closest to of, of everyone. And I said, what, what did grandma think of that? And they said that she agreed that it was the right thing to do. But she's also of a different generation. She was born in the mm -hmm. 30s. And I think there was a lot that just wasn't talked about. Yeah. And so that could have been some of the dynamic on my dad's side, for sure. But yeah. I, I don't know. But I just, I put myself in, in my grandma, his mom's perspective. And I think obviously you'd hope that eventually people would be willing and open. But I would probably like side eye if, if my 22, 23 year old son came home and said, I'm going to raise a baby that I just met. That's a you, huge commitment. Do you think you would have any feelings about the mother of the child and maybe her intentions or? Sure. I'm sure all of those things came up. And then, yeah. you know, she was also white. I don't know if that was an issue mm -hmm. or not, but you know, there's just a lot of things at play. And it made me have a lot more empathy, actually, for his mom, because yeah. I, I think I kind of villainized her a bit as a kid in a way. Yeah. And it sounds like she might have been keeping a distance between you two, not be, not out of any bad malicious feelings towards you, but because there was a block there, there, you know, and she was feeling the weight of that. Yeah, maybe. And I think a lot of actually the distance came from me. Like yeah. I never wanted to go to her house. I never wanted to. And again, looking back, I'm like on some level, even as a child, yeah. I used to say I didn't want to go over there because it was boring. boring. But <laughs> you know, but now I look back and I'm like, well, maybe it's because I just didn't feel like I belonged. Yeah, connected. I really um, can't imagine the uh, 
especially, I don't know if there was ever alcohol involved, but that hanging heavily over ever, and especially your parents, that anyone could decide to just pop off at any given time. I mean, I've done things that I'm not proud of in my life that some people have known and other people haven't. And I've just been waiting in trepidation for someone to expose me. I really, do you, did, can you I look can't, back and feel that tension? I mean, I just can't imagine the weight mm-hmm. of that secret. And like you said, counting on so many people to keep it a secret for you. Mm-hmm. I do think it kind of, like I said, became the truth after a while. So I'm not yeah. sure if it was like top of mind at parties and things like that. But somebody gets mad. There's conflict. Uh, somebody gets a conscience and decides that they want to tell. I can't imagine the constant anxiety that I personally would feel if I was keeping a secret like that. 100%. Have you talked with your parents or can you speculate how much of the decision to keep it a secret had to do with who they thought was your biological father being abusive? I think that that was a huge factor for them. And I think that that's why they were able to do it so easily so to speak like yeah yeah, because they thought they were doing the right thing and they were able to justify it and even with that knowledge they still did want to tell me my mom did say that she she didn't think it was right when they made that decision but I can't imagine you know being 23 years old Mm -hmm. overseas with a baby by myself so I do have a lot of compassion for the position that she was in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think our uh, our biological father uh, was very curious as to if we had found out who he was and he was not a good person, would we have approached the situation differently or still been interested in knowing him? Uh, we're moving into kind of the reveal of your biological father. Are you, do you find yourself to be quite relieved that it was not who they thought it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad to know that it wasn't him. I do think that if I'd known at the time who they thought it was, I would have been curious and probably tried to dig in and learn more about him, even if I didn't want to connect with him. But it's definitely a relief to know that the person who is my biological father is is a good person. So let's move into then what I think is the happy, happier part of this story. So you take the DNA test, you sit your parents down, you talk to them about it and tell us about your road forward. Yeah. So after they tell me, I'm like, okay, at this point, I've already started trying to piece out who is this man using all of my internet stalking skills to to find him. And I hadn't found him at the time that we spoke, but I got to work. By the end of the weekend, I had identified who he was. And I found him through, I think similarly to you all, I found like an obituary on the family tree. And then I saw who the sons, surviving sons were or siblings were. And then I was like, okay, there were a lot of kids. There were like 12 kids. So I'm like, okay, now I got to search each of these men who were the survivors. And the first one that I found that I thought was my father, father actually is my uncle, but I kept searching and I found him. And then he, like a good boomer, listed everywhere he'd lived on Facebook. (laughs) And so I saw, okay, he was in the military. He was in Spain in 1984. Okay, that's definitely him, 100%. So I talked to my friend, the therapist, and I said, I think I found him. Trying to think about what to do. And she gave me such good advice that I give to anyone who asks me, which is wait to reach out until you're comfortable 
with whatever outcome that mm-hmm. might be. If I could reach out and he could be like, don't talk to me, could reach out and he could be really happy. I actually didn't have an opportunity to wait to reach that point because on Monday, I got a Facebook message from my sister. Holy so I found out on a Thursday and then shit. on Monday, my my sister reached out to me. What did she uh, say? She said, hi, Alexis. I think I saw your information on my brother's ancestry profile and I think we might be related. Let me know if you want to talk. And she gave me her phone number and I responded and said, I think we are related. And uh, gave her my phone number. I don't remember which one of us made the actual phone call, but right away we talked. We talked for like 45 minutes and learned that he was in Spain. That was definitely my biological father. It wasn't an affair type thing. He was single. So both, you know, he was single. And then after that relationship with my mom, whether it was a one night stand or whatever it was, he went on and got married and had kids. That is wild. How do you think, and again, this calls for a lot of speculation, but how do you think you would have felt any different or how things would have changed for you if you had never taken this DNA test and that was your first well, I think, introduction to that? I think the piece that you, I don't know if you're picking up on. Oh, because she came she up as a it, match. Because she took it. Yeah. Okay. So it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have taken the DNA test. Yeah, okay. because I matched with our brother. So I I also matched with a sister who was from a previous relationship. She's older than me, but the brother had reached out to her and said, I think we have another sister. And they had a whole conversation with their mom. Their, Their parents are now divorced. And they told her, don't reach out to her right now. Don't reach out to her. She might have just learned this. Maybe she didn't know she was black. Maybe she didn't want to be black because they live in Alabama. And I think that that's a very important piece to this. They are Mm -hmm. from the South. So for me, when they were like, maybe you didn't want to be black, I'm like, what? You know, those are not thoughts that occurred to me. Right. But they have a very different lived experience than I do. But she decided, even though they were like, don't contact her, (laughs) she is like me and was like, I'm going to dig into this. And if she doesn't want to talk to me, that's okay, but I'm going to try. So we talked for like 45 minutes, really don't remember the conversation other than she said, I'm going to tell our father to check his ancestry results because I don't think he's been on there in a while. And so she did tell him and she's like, there's an Alexis on there. I think you might want to look. And he was like, that's your cousin. Like there's some other Alexis in the family. He's like, it's, and she's like, no, you, you need to go on there and check. And he did immediately messaged me said, I I'm your father. Like this is a surprise, but it was all very positive. Gave me his phone number. And then I called him and we talked for the first time. So that was all within a week, basically of me learning that my dad wasn't my dad. It is crazy how quickly things can happen when you, I mean, do you remember how you felt after the conversation with your sister? Did you have any objection to her saying that they were going to tell your biological father and tell him to check ancestry DNA? And then what was it like preparing for that? phone call with him. How were you feeling? I didn't really prepare. Like I got his message and then I (laughs) called him right away because I can be a bit impulsive like that. (laughs) I, it felt good. It, I was so relieved that they were open Mm -hmm. because I didn't, 
didn't know. And, you know, I instantly joined all the Facebook groups and everything with people that have these similar experiences. And you see a lot of really sad stories of people being rejected. And in the podcast, I talk to a lot of people that are rejected. And so knowing that that was a possibility was really scary. And so to have them proactively reach out and welcome me, like that's, I acknowledge how lucky I am that that was my outcome. So we just, we started talking. We talked at least once a week, got to know each other. And then that November, I went out to Alabama with my husband and met them. I'm so excited to hear about you meeting them for the first time. Before that, how did your family, first of all, did you tell anyone in your family that you were going to be reaching out? And if so, how did they feel about it? And how did they feel once you connected? with them. Things in those initial weeks and months were very, very tense and there wasn't a ton of conversation and I felt super uncomfortable sharing because I felt like they didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I mentioned my dad made the comment about not wanting me to cry on anyone else's shoulders and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I felt like they were happy to know that I had made that connection and that they were welcoming to me because there was a lot of guilt about the fact that there was a, a mistake made in who my father was, but I didn't share a ton. My sisters were really happy for me. I did Mm -hmm. keep them updated all along, but I didn't talk to my parents that much during that time. When you told your mom, and if you did, when you told her, did you tell her when you ended up finding out who it was? Did you tell her directly that this is who it is? And did she, this again, no judgment here. Does she remember him? Did she? They don't remember each other. They wow. don't remember each other. Wow. I mean, it was a long time yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Trust me, there's yeah. no judgment here. Yeah. <laughs> I, they don't remember each other. I had thrown out some different names. Like the mm-hmm. na- his profile name is not his actual name. So I had, you know, texted her like, who's Damien? Well, Damien was actually the name of their family pet. That's what <laughs> her name was. So <laughs> she's like, I don't know who Damien is. Like, I don't know. And I had narrowed down the family when I had like the comfort confrontation conversation Mm -hmm. with them. And at that point, like, I just remember crying and being like, they seem like really nice people. And you know, that they felt really bad about that. But they were happy then to know that they were so welcoming. And my mom has since said that to me that she's really happy that there is a relationship being built. I think that's at least a relief, because I think there's a very, you know, good chance. And I'm sure you've spoken with people who their parents would have put up a fight or been mad that sure, you were seeking elsewhere and they don't really have a leg to stand on there. But I'm happy that at least that part of it, uh, they had some compassion and were happy for you. Yeah. Tell us about Alabama. Yeah. So I'm going to back up because one of the things that kind of gives me goosebumps still is I have lived in Arizona most of my life, but shortly after I got married, at the time, my mother-in-law lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we had gone to visit her. And when we were there, I was just like, I love it here. It feels like home. I want to move here. So after we got married, we decided to just try something new and moved across country and lived in North Carolina for a couple of years. And then we had our son and moved back to Arizona to be close to family. But I actually learned, anyone listening will remember, I said that I descend from early North Carolina, African-Americans. It actually turned out that my biological father grew up about an hour and a half from where we lived in Durham. And so all his family is still there. He just retired in Alabama. So that's why I went to visit him there. We, we talk so much about nature versus nurture. And it seems like you have such an inherent like sense of who you are. It's amazing to me that you felt so many different kind of 
poles to certain like certain cultures or certain places that's incredible and it seems like you are extremely intuitive and that shows in a lot of these pieces thank you yeah i think it did help and it, it definitely gives a lot of those things that i reflect on and i'm like oh that makes sense that's, yeah. that's why and it was funny because before we went out to alabama my father sent me like a list of hotels in order of preference and like proximity to him and i was laughing because i was like this is literally me like that's what i would do <laughs> i would be like here's your itinerary for this that's trip so like cute. and that's and and my family is not really like that like my raised family there's a lot of things about me where i was like i i'm not like that i yeah. i'm different and i would talk to my friends or talk to my husband about why am i different from my family in, in certain ways not enough that i suspected i wasn't biologically related <laughs> to them but i always did feel like i guess i'm just i just have some sort of like wherewithal within me to do certain yeah. things but it was a really nice visit the first day they took me to the legacy museum which is all about the history of African-Americans in our country. And so I really got to feel like I was just instantly getting exposed to that. I got to go to his house. We shared a lot of meals and I just got to learn a lot about him and my family. And it sounds like when, when you found this out and decided to make this trip, you were obviously going to meet your biological father and meet their family. But it sounds like, and I feel like you're a, the kind of person that were you also on a mission to kind of learn more about Black culture in general. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I wanted to get as much exposure as I could. And, you know, a lot of civil rights moments happened in Montgomery, which is where they live. So I've got to see a lot of that. And then and then also, yeah, just spend time together as a family. And then my sister invited me to come back in December to her wedding. So she got married and I went back a couple months later alone because my husband was sick. But it was actually kind of good because I got to spend that more like one-on-one -on -one time right. with the mm -hmm. family and hear conversations that probably wouldn't have happened in front of a white guy mm -hmm. and yeah. those kinds of things, like especially amongst the younger people that were there. Yeah. And I just really, really appreciated that time. And then in March, the next year, they came to visit me and they got to meet my kids. My, so my sister mm -hmm. and my father came to visit. And that was amazing to see him with my kids. And I think he really likes being a papa. And are those his only grandchildren? My sister has since had a had a baby. And then my older sister, she has several children, but again, that's a whole other story. Yeah. So he's not as close to those grandkids. So yeah, that at the time he didn't have any other grandchildren um, oh. that he was, you know, regularly talking to. And uh, so yeah, they got to meet. And then on the very last night that they were there, my parents came over and they they did meet. Did they when when they were in the same room? Did they remember each other? No. <laughs> that is so no. Yeah. So they they actually met at my son's football game that morning, and I wasn't there for that initial meeting because I had to go to my daughter's soccer game. We had to like divide and conquer. So that was funny. My husband was at the football game, and I left with my sister to go to the soccer game. And I guess it was a fine meeting, but then I got to see them together that night and everyone was very fine cordial, it was all cordial. fine all cordial and my daughter who was five at the time or almost five said we should all get a picture we all need to get in a picture and I never would have said it because it just didn't even occur to me I think I was just like in shock that it was all happening and so I 
I did. I got a picture standing between, I mean, everyone was in the picture, but I got a picture standing between my parents, my biological parents. Will you send that to us? Sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. Whose idea was it for the parents to meet? I kind of threw it out there. I wanted to invite them because I knew we were going to have like a cookout, like a taco bar type thing at our at our house. And so I offered for them to come, but it was very like no pressure. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you're ready. You don't have to, but they did. And I really have a lot of respect for my parents showing up and mm-hmm. doing that because I'm sure that that was not easy for them. Were you surprised by that? I was very surprised yeah. because we weren't really, yeah. I mean, things were still kind of tough at that point. And so for them to, to show up was huge. And do you think they did that more for you oh 100 percent. yeah yeah i'm so i'm so sad for you that you've had these relationship changes with your raised family that's the term that you used which i really like i'm so sad those relationships have suffered but i'm so happy for you that you've kind of gained like a second family in the process yeah i'm so grateful for that later that year i went to a family reunion in north carolina and so I got to meet cousins. I got to meet ninety-five-year-old and that was so cool just to be around so many different people, and everyone was so welcoming. And I feel like I'm gonna get emotional. That was the first time, like seeing some of my aunts, where I was like, "That's who I look like." Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm where I get my nose from because my nose has always been different from my family. And, you know, going back to childhood and all that, you, you make up these things like, oh yeah, I got my, I got my nose from my grandma. No, I didn't. Like she had a button nose and it was a little bit upturned, but it's not her nose. You know, I thought I got my curly hair from my mom. My mom barely has wavy hair. But like in my, like you make yeah. these stories make things make sense. So it was just so cool to see my aunts specifically because I saw myself when I saw them. Do you bear a resemblance to your father? Sort of. We have similar eye color, which was interesting because I have like, you can't really tell in this, but I have a lot of reddish tones to my eyes. And I see that. Actually, my raised father and my biological father look similar to each other. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's another reason why I look like my sisters and things is because there's similarities there. And is your father, are both of his parents black? Yes, there's, I mean, due to the history of African Americans, there's some mixtures going Mm -hmm. on there, but yes, they're, they're black. (laughs) (laughs) Has your raised father, has he had any sort of visceral reaction to seeing you build that relationship with your father, your biological father? Not that he's shown me, he's been supportive and you know, when I went to the family reunion, I sent them just a couple of pictures like for how it was going. And he said he was happy that it went well. So if it has been a problem for him, he's keeping that to himself. He hasn't said anything to me. I mean, you kind of have to take a seat yeah. after you. Yeah. 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 With how connected you throughout your life felt to Black culture and then kind of diving in Montgomery and being able to investigate that. How is that going? And are there like specific moments that you can look back on or music videos or something and be able to revisit those and feel more connected? 
to that. Yeah. One of my so how how it's going is it's it's complicated because in some ways I'm still like this wasn't my lived experience because I've been saying that I'm something else my whole life. And so it feels a little bit weird to quote claim that now. Although I do, if somebody asks me, like I will say, you know, I'm mixed race and black and I'm getting more comfortable with saying that. And it's also kind of, I've talked about this before, but it's interesting because other people may have been perceiving me that way my whole life. And then I'm telling them no, but people that I don't talk to and they just see me on the street, they might treat me that way, whatever that means for them. And so it's, it's just very wild to try to piece all of that together and reconcile it. And then other things that I've done, I really have been into cooking and I love to cook. I love to bake. And so for Thanksgiving, I made collard greens, which is not something I grew up eating. I made a sweet potato pie in addition to a pumpkin pie. And it was, I remember talking to my father and my sister on the phone. I was talking to them at the same time because they were together. And I was saying, yeah, I always grew up making pumpkin pie. And they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, you're like done that. with that now. <laughs> so like I'm, I'm like bringing these things in, and then trying to like I've joined different groups for like Black people in Tucson where I live, so I'm seeing more of those kinds of things. I've started embracing my curlier hair texture, which is a huge thing for me because I've always struggled with that my whole life, and basically have been straightening my hair since I was in middle school, and so I'm working to kind of embrace that as part of my journey. And then looking back. Favorite stories is one of my friends, Craig. He is biracial, like me, white mom, black dad. And I was out at a bar with him and my best friend. And she was talking about like how she gets Botox or something. And at the time I didn't get Botox. And <laughs> she said, he, he was like, you don't need to get Botox. You you both don't need to get Botox. And I was like, I, I don't get Botox, Craig. And he's like, oh, that's right. Black don't crack. <laughs> And I was like, Craig, I'm not black. I'm not black. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. And he was like, you know, he always kind of like side eyed yes. me a little bit. And so after the truth came out, I sent him a text and I was like, you were right. You were so <laughs> right. And he's like, I know. <laughs> I'm sure that was kind of validating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So there's like moments like that that I look back on and I'm like, oh. Yeah, totally. So, and I was, I was semi alluding to that when I was like, you look, (laughs) it's just a better gene pool, I gotta say. (laughs) So I really want to wrap up talking about the podcast and you being a truth teller and deciding to do that. But before that, if you could kind of sum up this experience, because just in your verbiage and your language and kind of your, your body language and your facial expressions, and it, it does seem like one of the more predominant aspects of this narrative for you is that you were lied to and you do wish that they had done something different and you are standing very firmly with that. Can you kind of give us an all-encompassing picture of that feeling and how you're moving forward? Yeah, I think honestly, the informal adoption piece is not the issue. The fact that he wanted to raise me as his own is not really the issue. It's it is the lie. It's the lie. And also I think in my story, a lot of it is what happens after that lie is uncovered. It's the way people treat you, the way that they act. That's huge. And I, and on a lot of the people that I talk to, that's a huge piece of it because it's no one's fault that they took the test and uncovered the truth. That's not, you know, we, this, ha- this experience like happened to us. 
We did not seek it out. We didn't make the choice to cover something up. And so I think it's really easy for people to say, well, your dad's still your dad. You have loving parents. They did it because they loved you. But the reality is the people that are supposed to love you and protect you lied to you your whole life and everything you thought you knew about yourself is not is not reality after i found out i think i watched the truman show like three times that week because it was like the thing that i felt like i related to it so much and i remember just like crying in bed and watching it and being like that's me and that's the piece that i think people don't understand it's not about if your parents loved you or if they meant well or anything like that it's about those relationships and that lie and that's why i am vocal is because i want people who go through this to not feel alone and also for people that make these choices for their kids to know that it's not the right choice, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So obviously this, this experience sent you on a whole journey as far as finding your paternal family. Tell us how it has shaped your professional life. Yeah, so I still have a day job, but <laughs> a few months after I had my DNA surprise, I decided to start DNA Surprises, the podcast. And I had had a podcast with a friend that was just like pop culture, very fun, shooting the shit kind of stuff. And then that actually ended the month that I had my DNA surprise, like three weeks before, unbeknownst to me. <laughs> and I knew I wanted to do another podcast, but I just wasn't sure what the topic would be. And then this happened and I just started seeing all the people posting in groups and I felt so alone, even with all the posting. And I thought this will be a great way for me to connect with other people more directly and hopefully help other people too. So I started the podcast and officially launched January 2022. And since then, I think I just interviewed my 83rd person. And yeah, it's really just been going and, and growing it because this is very common. And really, I think what I identify most with is like what I would call the DNA surprise community. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you all were donor conceived. But I think the what can sometimes be the biggest shock is if your dad's not your dad, like you experienced Ricky, like those kinds of things are the really jarring pieces of the story for me, at least. So I really identify with anyone who's taken a test or had their parents sit them down when they're 15 or 20 or 30 and, and reveal a truth. So it's been really great connecting with people. Right to Know is a really wonderful organization that I've been involved with. Cara's amazing and had a summit that I was fortunate to speak at this year. And yeah, it's, it's a really cool community. I will say though, there's a lot of diversity even within the community and like the way that we all feel about our own experiences. We're not a monolith and however anyone feels about their experience, they're totally entitled to. But I think it's all about just kind of finding your own spot and the people that you connect to. For our listeners, what does NPE Thank stand you. for? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great question. So NPE, the way I describe it is it's a person and it's a thing. Some people don't like to be called an NPE. I don't have a problem with it, but an NPE is a non-paternal event. Event or not parent expected. It's more of like the layman's acronym. And then people who have that happen identify as NPEs. Thank you. And first, so proud of you. What it, I wanted to ask if it's okay, what you studied in school. I studied journalism and public relations. I can, you're just so <laughs> well-spoken, so, <laughs> so well-spoken, so eloquent, and it really, really shines through. When we started doing our podcast, obviously we want to do the same thing. We want to help other people, but we also found 
that it was extremely healing for us. Have you experienced any of that in being able to talk to talk to this community, talk to these people? How has it affected how you feel about your own situation? It's helped remove so much of the shame around it. Because for me, I still struggle with it, honestly. Like I have this podcast, I'm out there with my first and last name. And every now and then I will still have these moments of like, I have put everything out there about my story. That is wild. Anyone can Google me and see all this. But overall, it's really helped reduce the shame and help me work through a lot of these emotions because I know that I'm not alone and I am connecting with other people. And that is so healing. And I think there's something so powerful. I mean, I'm sure you all can relate, like same to you, proud of you for getting out there and telling your stories because there's something so healing about actually putting it into words. Right. Just knowing that you're not alone. And you do, again, cannot compliment you enough on what a good job you do of it. Thank you. It just creates such a safe space. How does your, how do both sides of your family feel about the podcast? So my biological father is super encouraging. He thinks it's awesome, all of the things that I do. He's very religious. And so he's like, you create fellowship with your with your other NPEs. And, you know, he thinks it's really cool. My parents don't talk about it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they even know how to listen to a podcast, truthfully. <laughs> But we don't we don't discuss it at all. We don't talk about it. I recently held a retreat with my friend Debbie. We held a retreat called the DNA Surprise Retreat. And even that, like, don't really talk about it too much. A little bit. I got to like, how was your retreat? And that kind of thing. But it's not something we talk about. Darn it. I would have liked to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> we're planning for 2024. Even if, oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to need details on that. <laughs> Speaking of the retreat. I think it's a perfect time to just plug anything because yes. mm -hmm. you're obviously, I mean, if you're speaking at summits and you're running retreats, this is turning into a real legitimate, mm -hmm. exciting thing for you. So what do you have coming up that everyone should be excited about? Just working on the podcast still. So that's DNA Surprises and you can find me at dnasurprisespodcast.com. DNA surprises on all those social platforms. Mostly I'm more active on Instagram, but I'm also on TikTok, Facebook. There's a DNA surprises podcast community, Facebook group. And then for the retreat, there's dnasurpriseretreat.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter there to hear about when we're going to have the next one. But the first one was so magical. We are absolutely going to do another one. It was so amazing to spend time in person with people that have had these experiences. And that, that experience is, well, this last one was three days long and we had six sessions on grief and trauma wow. and radical acceptance and writing through healing and self-compassion and tapping into your strength. So it's not just hanging out for a few days. We actually have like educational opportunities for people to learn how to process because I think if there's anything that I can impart to your listeners, it's that it's hard. It can be really painful. There's a lot of grief and a lot of quote, negative emotions on this journey, but you can move through it. And it doesn't mean you're never going to feel sad about it ever again, but you could still find joy and happiness in your new connections and new communities that you find. Amazing. I don't think we could end on a more perfect note than that. Your insight is so incredibly valuable and so appreciated. And you have just been, both times we've talked to you, we've talked about you when you're not here. It's been just such an absolute pleasure. We're so happy 
that we got to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me and keep up the great work. It's really (laughs) awesome to see, seriously. (laughs) Thank you so much, Alexis. Wow. Well, I knew that was going to be eye-opening, but I think I underestimated how eye-opening it would be. And I do have to say a huge part of Alexis's story is the secret that her family kept from her. And it really made me think about how we've had very little narrative about that through, or we've not really woven that through our own story. Um, And I think We've talked to the community a lot and a lot of people have a lot of anger and resentment surrounding that secret and rightfully so. And I have to say we've done our own digging and I don't think that any of us have really been able to, through lots of conversation, lots of therapy and lots of introspection, come up with any of our own anger or resentment towards that particular element of our own story. And I think it is probably because we were all told the really important elements of our quote unquote secret when we were relatively young. Uh, But what I took from Alexis is that she is really firmly convicted in that. And I think it's really beautiful to see her stand beside her conviction and also to give other people a place to voice that if that is their own experience. And then of course, she's a journalist. So I mean, just the way that she presents herself and was able to tell us that story and be so present and yet somehow removed enough to have a really graceful character arc of her own was amazing. Yeah, that's that's what struck me. She's so unbelievably just Mm well-spoken just a well-spoken obviously educated introspective individual poised i'm a little jealous of her (laughs) i'm a little jealous of her this is obviously a journey for us and she's been on this journey for a while and i just want to give her accolades because you can tell in the way that she presents herself the way that she tells her story uh just stunning all around And I think what really struck me as well, and I think we'll dig into this more as we dive into this season, is that this is such an important life event and something that is relatively new in our day and age because of the invention, again, that is DNA testing. And we find people that maybe it's kind of a little blip in their story, but then there are people that really find purpose and latch onto this as a cause and use it to propel them forward both professionally, personally, and it really gives her a purpose and it really shines through in everything that she does and says, which I think is absolutely beautiful and so brave. She describes herself as a truth teller and she's done a magnificent job at doing just that. I agree. And I think that what I took away, because we all know that I love a happy ending. (laughs) And I know that um, her relationship with her parents is not as strong as she would like it to be. But I do love for her that she was able to find um, new connections with her. um, I need to find. Was it found? It was her raised parents. I think is what she calls it. Raised parents and biological. No, I think she just calls her father by his name. Mm-hmm. Right, you can just say biological. Yeah, 
her biological family and just that uh, they've welcomed her with open arms. And I think that's always the, the story that we want to tell. But it's also so important to tell the other stories because, as we like to say on this podcast, if you do decide to go on a journey of this nature, nature yourself, just don't go in with any expectations, please. <laughs> so that's what I took away. Yeah. Another beautiful episode. I was so happy to have her on so early in the season. And next week, we have another set of podcast hosts on. We're going to be hosting Corey and Kendall, who um, Kendall really has such a beautiful story of adoption to tell. And we are so excited to welcome them. We think you guys are really going to love it. If you don't, I don't know. What what is wrong with you? you. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, we are signing off. In the meantime, we hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic, excited for the possibilities and more curious about the world around you. Have a good week. Take things in stride and leave people better than you found them. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.